Welcome to Word Connect with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga, a teaching ministry where believers are trained to be established in the truth of God's Word. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.thepastormax.ng. Let's pray. Let's get into the Word tonight. Father, thank you because I am anointed to teach. Thank you because your people are anointed to receive. And together our faith is built up in the knowledge of the person of Jesus. I pray that light and understanding will come forth in and through your word. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. This, this evening, I, I trust the Lord to help me with, with my time and being able to share what I have here. I, I want to talk about the five components. Now, there, there, are, there might be more. So let me, let me not use the word D, it, it will look like it's final. But let's look at five essential components of a healthy church. Five essential components of a healthy church. Now we're looking at, um, under the broader team, me and my local church, or my local church and I. So we want to look at five essential components for a healthy church. What is a healthy church? First of all, let's go to Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18. I will explain something to you there. Matthew 16, 18. Let's, let's turn our Bibles there. Now pay very close attention to this because it will help your discernment. Matthew 16, 18. It says, you remember the story of Matthew chapter 16 verse 18? This was when Jesus asked the disciples... Who do men say that I am? Okay? Now, uh, in verse 17, uh, in verse 15, he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Matthew 16. Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now, Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. Which means that you did not get this from human understanding. But my Father who is in heaven. Then he says, I also say to you that you are Peter. Alright? Peter, Petra, small rock. But upon this rock. When he said upon this rock. Sorry. Peter... Is Petros a stone? Petra is a large rock. So in the Greek, Petros is a small stone. Petra is a large rock. Okay? So um, when he says you are Peter, the Greek word there is Petros, your small stone. But upon this rock, Petra, the big stone, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I've explained what this means to you before about the gates of Hades. Now, there's something I want to pick up here. When he says, I will build my church, the word church there is the Greek word ecclesia. Ecclesia. Now, the word ecclesia, uh, many, many Bible scholars try to interpret it that ecclesia means the called out ones. Alright, that's, that's how they try to establish the church, that it's the call that wants. Now, the word ecclesia was understood not just to be a call that one, but 
a gathering of people or an assembly of people. So it's used 114 times in the Bible or through the Bible, 114 times. But let's look at two instances. Um, Acts 7.38. Let me show you something here. Acts 7.38. Now in Acts chapter 7 and verse 38, it says, uh, pay attention here. It says, this is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness. Now, some, some translations, I think the King James uses the word, the church in the wilderness. I don't know if I'm correct about that. Anybody using the King James? The old King James. Yeah, that's what you're using, right? You say it uses the word the church in the wilderness. Perfect. So the old King James uses the word the church in the wilderness. Okay. So now, when you go to the New American Standard Bible, they use the word the congregation in the wilderness. Right? Now, some translations, pay very careful attention to this, some translation uses the word the assembly in the wilderness. Okay? Now, the word ecclesia actually is not just about uh, being called out. It actually refers to assembly, congregation, or it can be used as the word church. So, the word church, pay attention to this, uh, wasn't used in Jesus' time as a religious word. Okay? So, it wasn't used... It wasn't used as like church the way we see it. It was a word that anybody could use because it refers to a gathering of people. Now, let me show you something. Go to Acts chapter 19 and verse 32. And the reason I'm starting with this foundation is so when we're talking about the healthy church, you don't just have the mindset of church like we have it now. You, you have the biblical mindset, okay? Now, go to Acts 19.32. Acts chapter 19. Where am I? Okay, I'm in Matthew. Acts chapter 19 and verse 32. Okay, now, look at this now. So then, uh, this was, you remember, there was this riot going on, okay, when um, we're talking about uh, Artemis, the god of the Ephesians. There was this whole riot and confusion going on as Paul was teaching. So then, some were shouting one thing, and some another. So, you know, when there's riot, people shout all kinds of things, okay? Now, it says, for the assembly was in confusion. And the majority did not know for what reason they had come together. You know, if people start running now, and all of us start running, you won't even know why you're running. When they say, why are you running? They say, I saw people running. That's what was happening. So, there was confusion. Now, this is where I want you to pay attention to. They use the word ecclesia for them too. So, um, I, I don't know what the King James uses here. Let's, let's use the King James version. Let me see. I haven't studied it. Okay. They use the word assembly also. Uh, try the New Living Translation or the NIV. Let me see what they use. Uh, the assembly. Okay. So, they use the assembly. All right. Now, it's the same word ecclesia. Go back to the New American Standard Bible. It's the same word uh, ecclesia. Now, the emphasis of Matthew chapter 18, when Jesus says, I will build my church, the emphasis was not in church. 
The emphasis of Jesus was mine. Do, do you understand it now? Because the, the word church was used for any kind of gathering. It was used for riots, like you have seen. The word assembly used here was the same word used for the assembly. So anywhere people gathered and there was a congregation, it's, it's an ecclesia. So when Jesus says, I will build my church, the emphasis wasn't so much as the church as opposed to my. What he was trying to say is, there will be a gathering of people that I am responsible for, or like it's referred to in the Old Testament, unto you shall the gathering of the people be. Do you follow that now? That means our congregation will be what? Unto the Lord. Now pay attention to this. What will differentiate our gathering from the riot outside would be who we are gathered for or who gathered us. Did you follow that? So, what differentiates Acts 19 from what we read about the church in the wilderness was that the church in the wilderness was gathered unto the Lord. Why this one was gathered because they want to kill someone? Because there was a riot. So, now having understood that, having understood that, when we now talk about the marks of a healthy church, you will now understand that the emphasis is not so much as just the gathering of the people, but what the people do when they gather. Okay? Because if God says, I'll build my church, or they'll be gathered unto me, that means he already has an idea of what he wants to achieve. Now, the other thing, just foundation first, um, a small church, there's actually nothing like a small or a big church. The church is a church, but for the sake of understanding, it's a church that is small in numerical, uh, in numbers, it doesn't mean that church is healthy. You know, there's a way people with small churches feel that it's righteousness that's keeping them small. You know, it's a problem. It's, it's just a problem. So, don't, so, because you are 50 does not mean you are teaching the truth. And the fact that a church is 100,000 doesn't mean it's not healthy. It's just like if somebody is on a large side, it doesn't mean they are healthy. You can't say it's because you are healthy that you are just growing fat. Alright? You can be on a large side and be unhealthy. At the same time, you know people who are very slim, they also have a way of deceiving themselves that they are very healthy. So, you, you, are, you are slim and you think you are healthy. So, health has nothing to do with the physical structure. Health is more of an internal thing. Do you follow this? Do you follow this now? So, the fact that we are few like this doesn't mean, ah, our church is sane, we don't have crowd. Or the fact that somebody has one million members doesn't mean that their church is just teaching lies. No. Jesus had 12. Jesus preached to the multitudes. And then even in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, we discover that on the first day that the people got born again, 3,000 were born again. So 3,000 people were added to the church. That wasn't the church. I mean, a church of 3,000, is that a big church? That's really a big church. Praise God. Alright, so I think we've understood those two foundations. So please understand that. The emphasis of Jesus when he says, I'll build my church, is the fact that he was responsible for that gathering. So that gathering was going to take its life and its DNA and its image from him. Alright. Now, 
what are some of the components, essential components of a healthy church? Number one is expositional teaching. Expositional teaching. Now, it's very important that we understand that one of the essential, or go to Acts chapter 2, the first essential sign that a church is healthy is expositional teaching. Now, in Acts chapter 2, and verse 41, let's read this now, Acts chapter 2, verse 41, I need you to follow this teaching very carefully so you can, because this will help your discernment. Okay, Acts 2, 41, it says, So then, those who had received his word were baptized, and that day they were added about 3,000 souls. So 3,000 souls joined the congregation that day. Now look at verse 42. They were continually, observe the word continually, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching or the apostles' doctrine. When they got born again and joined the church, it wasn't entertainment that they kept them to be fed on. They began to give them doctrine. See, what is expositional teaching? Expositional teaching is simply uh, the type of teaching that exegets a text. Opening the scriptures. It's like what we read when we're talking about the Great Commission, Luke chapter 24, right? What did the Bible say? The Bible says, and he opened their mind to understand what? Come on, Luke 24. That should be one of the most common verses in this church. He opened their mind to understand what? The scriptures, right? Beginning from the Psalms and the prophets and Moses, he opened their mind so that they can understand what? Scriptures. Remember, Jesus did not preach to them what they needed. He taught them to understand scriptures. So, a mark of a healthy church is not just a church where you are taught what you want to hear. It's a church where you are taught to understand what? Scriptures. The apostles' doctrine is summarized in simple terms. Number one, the kingdom of God, who Christ is, what Christ did, what we have in him, and what he's doing through us. So the apostles' doctrine is a summary of the kingdom, the death, Burial and resurrection of Jesus. What he did for us, praise God, what we have in Christ, and what Christ is doing through us. Now, because what you find out a lot, and pay attention to this, is that many times in churches, including ours, what we have a lot is that we teach topics that are very applicable and direct to people's needs. But actually, most of those topics do not open the scriptures. They do not help people to understand the scriptures. It's more targeted at their needs as opposed to understanding the scripture. Now, that doesn't best a healthy church. That doesn't best a healthy church. For instance, you can throw a coin and just pick a Christian and say, explain redemption to me. What's a redemption? And then, they might probably not have a cue. Right? About what redemption is. 
But do you think it's, it's a safe thing that a Christian cannot explain redemption? Are you a Christian? I'm asking now, just to be sure. Are you a Christian? Do you think it is a safe thing that a Christian cannot explain what redemption is? Or I come and say, what is justification? Or I come and say, okay, explain the atonement. Why did Jesus have to die? Why did Jesus have to come in human flesh? Now, but these are all things that are loaded in scriptures. But you know, if I say, this, 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 today we're going to spend some time, maybe the next three months, just understanding redemption. What do you think is the question people are going to say? How will redemption put food on my table? Are you following this? So, what, what will I quickly do now? I will teach redemption, listen carefully, in the light of what it can do for you. So I say, you are born again, not to suffer again. Say, hmm. That's deep. Do you, do, you think that, do you think that if Jesus were to stand here and to tell us about the new birth, the quotable quotes of Jesus after the service would be that you are born again not to suffer again? Is it the way we are quiet? So, <laughs> when the apostles taught Go back, read Acts, read the epistles, read Pauline letters, read Romans. All these letters were to substantiate the message of salvation. Paul said to Timothy, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which is able to make you wise unto what? Salvation. Let me show you where our problem is. All of us, both preachers and members. 2 Timothy 4.3 This is where the problem came. New Living Translation. I like the way the New Living Translation puts it. 2 Timothy 4.3 For a time is coming when for a time is coming for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. So sound doctrine has or <laughs> For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their what? Own desires. And will look for what? Teachers who will tell them what? Whatever their itching ears want to hear. Are we in those days or not? I was talking to a friend of mine today and I was telling him about why we need to get back to expository teaching. I was looking at Martin Lord Jones. He died in the uh, 1900s. Martin Lord Jones, at a point, you know, and it's something I'm thinking, I mean, if the Lord gives me the liberty, I'll start. He started a service, a Sunday evening service, and he just told them, listen, this one is not compulsory for church members. It's those who want to learn God's word. So it's not like you teach to a point, it's 15 minutes, and people are cutting eyes for you in the congregation. Hmm? And he taught the book of Ephesians, 232 parts. Only the book of Ephesians. Word by word, verse by verse. That's what expositional preaching is. 
we open the scriptures and allow the scriptures to speak for itself. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's not two steps to victory. One step, no. We go to the book of Acts and we start reading. And it says, for instance, the Holy Spirit fell or not. Okay, who is the Holy Spirit? What is the Holy Spirit? Who, how can you identify the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament? What's the difference between the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament and the Holy Spirit in the New Testament? What is the unpardoned? You know, you look at scriptures. You allow the Bible speak. I know you need a child. I know you need a husband. But you realize this. And we need to pay attention to this. You realize that all of these things have given direction to the church. Remember, that's why I started from Matthew chapter 18. He says, I will build what? My church. So these things have given direction to the church. So if you, if you, if you, if you build teams around our desires, then it's very easy. But let me tell you something, and I think it's something we miss out. If we actually focus on understanding these things, the very things we desire, the scripture says they'll be added to us. Do you realize today what we chase and what the Gentiles chase is not different? You think so? It's not different now. So, exposition and teaching. When the disciples got born again, when the disciples had 3,000 added to them, they exposed them to the apostles' doctrine. Continually. They didn't try to solve their problems. They exposed them to the apostles' doctrine. When you go down, you see that signs, wonders, and miracles happen. Listen to me. Understanding the word of God will liberate you. The reason people can stand on the altar today and teach generational curses is because of illiteracy. It's because people are illiterate. Are you following what I'm saying? I don't talk about so many teachings flying around because people have itching ears. Okay, now, the word devoted, it says they were devoted to the apostles' doctrine. It means to join, to adhere to, to attend, to be ready, to give attention, to be faithful, to spend much time together, to persist in adherence, or to intently engage, right? It's used ten times in the New Testament. It's used six times alone in the book of Acts. The word devoted. They were devoted to the apostles' doctrine. Devoted to the apostles' doctrine. And what was the apostles' doctrine? It's sound doctrine. Doctrine that is sound. Doctrine that is sound. Let's, let's read a few scriptures. Second Timothy chapter 3. I have four points. I'm not even sure where you're going to be able to cover them. So, I'll just see where we stop. And we can pick up from there next Wednesday. Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. You know, I heard someone say that. They say, this is not the days of Greek and these things, days of power. <laughs> and you know, the whole thing about power, look at this. Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 15 and 16. Hmm? I, I don't know whether to say this publicly, but I'll just say it, right? I'll, I'll just say it, because some of the people listening to me, that would be of help to them. I've always said, um, when you want to interpret the Bible, be careful of using the right translations. Okay? Uh, so there's this new translation people are getting a hold of, that's the Passion Translation. How many of you have heard of it? The Passion Translation. Okay? Now, 
It's not something I recommend for people to use because one, it's, it's translated by one person, Brian Simons, alright? Now, normally when the Bible is being translated, there are scholars who get behind the translation who are trained in biblical languages to ensure that it is consistent with the original thoughts, which wasn't in his case. And if you watch his interviews, he would say he had very minimal, uh, minimal understanding of the biblical languages. And I find that we, we are also drifting... In, well, actually, I'm saying this because my original intention is not to make these teachings public to everybody, but I just decided to do that. I just wanted to make it personal to you because I'll be sharing some of these things. But, I mean, it's, it's, you can go and research it, okay? You, what you find with a lot of these paraphrase, easy-to-read versions is that they take the scriptures and everything, and like it is, paraphrase it so that you are able to understand it. They, they make it easy to understand. You see, that's not the goal of the text. It's not that you should make the Bible difficult, but you are actually to study it to understand it. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. So it's not like we say, ah, this word, and people don't understand this word, and you keep changing. You don't change languages like that. You don't change translations that way. And I just find that for believers, once a new translation comes, just makes it easy. They just, it's just easy, so that they won't stretch their mind. They just run after that and follow it. Okay? So, of course, this is not about recommending translations, but it's just saying, just be careful out there you've got, there's so many of them that are coming out, an individual will just come, yeah, this is a paraphrase translation, easy to read version. You are not a baby. Why are you looking for an easy to read version? Get into the text. Study the text. Because a little word can change the meaning of a text. And most people don't read the scriptures in context. And I've shared this with you before in Bible translation when I talk about concerning the works of my hands. Command ye me. Right? Uh, if, if you attended growth class, I've taught that. And then you have to say, God even said in his word, concerning the works of my hand, command ye me. I say, oh yeah, command God. Command God what you want to do. And then people say, I command God, I command you. I command you. <laughs> give me wife. I command you, give me husband. But if you read the context of that translation, you realize that it just said, concerning the works of my hands, command ye me. That question mark in front of it changed the, 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 the idea. How do you not get the original idea? You read the whole context. And what was the whole context talking about? We're talking about the potter and what? And the clay. Hmm? Or the Lord sent a word unto Israel, lighted upon Jacob. And people have used that to pray. Lord send us a word today that will light upon us. And that thing was just talking about a curse. It was, it was actually a curse. Are you following this now? So, uh, the reason I'm saying all of this is that what expositional preaching would help us to do is to look into the text. We will start exploring the text. We'll start reading the text, what? In context. That's something that Sunday school used to help us way back, you know, Sunday school. will say, okay, this month we're studying the book of what? Philippians. What will happen? Everybody will start reading Philippians. Everybody will start seeing the light in that. So, a healthy church would focus on that. A healthy church would focus on not just teachings that meet the needs of the people, but teachings that open the scriptures up to what? 
to sound doctrine. Second Timothy chapter 3 that we are in. Verse 15. And, and that from childhood, uh, let's look at verse 14. You are ever continue in the things you have learned. Every time you see sound doctrine, you only see the word continue, continue, continue. Alright? That's why you have to study. That's why I encourage you to have your, your, your church notes. Okay? What you're supposed to do before you come for today's meeting. Reverse. Go through what we've taught before. Alright? Now continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of. Hmm? Because what doctrine does is the best conviction. I'm saved. I know I'm saved. I'm righteous. I know I'm righteous. I know this is who I am. There is a conviction that doctrine bets. You know, it's like this, right? I tell people all the time. It's like, when we talk about, uh, I don't know whether it's an extreme example, but let me just say, when we talk about when believers die, you know, people die, you know, I know that. And you see the way believers grieve, and from there they get into depression, and then we're trying to keep the person who is alive, alive because... And then, but that same believer has read that we do not mourn like those who do not have hope. But the person doesn't, the way is mourning. Eh? You realize that this person has not understood, that thing is not part of his life. It's just, eh, it's because the thing has not touched you. And, and, and that's what people, so people don't, you see, the Bible is like, yeah, this is the Bible. It's not, it's not our reality. Yeah, hey. God heals, yes. Don't mourn like yes. This This is my life. But that's not what the church that Jesus is building ought to be like. This book ought to direct everything about our life. It ought to change how we view things. Hmm? Do you follow this now? Like I said, that can be a touching example, but there are many areas of our life where that is concerned. It says, You, however, continue the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which is the Holy Scriptures, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching. For reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. That's the purpose of scripture. The wisdom that leads to salvation. And this is what you will understand. Let me give you, let me give you a concept, right? Uh, I, I'm still reading the history of Bonnie. I, I got a book, so I, I don't have so much of an example to use from Bonnie Island. But let me, just, let me just create an example. Let's say, this is an example please. Let's say everybody in this land is mandated to worship the king. This is an example. Let's say everybody is mandated to worship the king. Right? Everybody must worship the king. Then, he comes up and says, there is another king. His kingdom is bigger than this. His name is Jesus. He is the one we ought to worship. Follow the example carefully. And then, he now joins you. You know that by him joining you, we are defying the king of this land. Right? Did you follow the example? Because the king of this land has said, I'm the only one you should worship. 
You see, when you decide to now join him to worship this new king, whoever you call him, that is Jesus of Nazareth, what you have actually done is that you have put your life at stake. You are ostracized from your family because now you are now an enemy not only of the states, you are an enemy of everybody who also believes that we should worship the king. You see, that is what Christianity meant to them. It was not that they were a member of KDCC. And whether you are a member of KDCC or you are a member, it has nothing, it won't affect your work, it will affect what you eat. Do you understand what I'm saying? They did not embrace Christianity without repercussions. So, they had to be convinced. That is why they were being taught daily. Because you cannot just get up and say, I'm a Christian. You are gone. Because what you are actually saying is that you are defying the ruling entity. Now, the challenge was not, not only were they defying the ruling entity, they were now defying the religious order of the day. They were now saying what the Jews were practicing was not the truth. So they were now enemies of both the state and religion. So Paul had to take letters from the council so that he can kill them. That means that killing a Christian person of this was a legitimate thing that you had backing to kill everybody who was it. Do you understand? It cannot be that you raised your hand in a crusade and you accepted Christ. You have to be sure that this teaching you are embracing it is true. It cannot be false because you are gone. So if there is heaven, there must be heaven. It's not when you die midway, you now realize, say, ah, they lie. Oh. <laughs> you can't. Do you understand that? So I'm giving you perception. So it was. That's why they were not doing church Sunday five to six. It was daily. It, so you must understand it. So after work, you come. We gather. We teach. So Paul was teaching daily for three months because. There was no New Testament. So he had to take the Old Testament from Psalms, prove from Isaiah. So he said, it's not clear. So okay, come tomorrow. It has to be clear. Because that's why they, I mean, and I, I say this because sometimes even preachers don't understand church history. Why were they selling and bringing everything they had in common? Because immediately you were born again. You were ostracized from your family. The family you now have is the church. Are you following what I'm saying? So we had to take you in because you are now our family. So we have to look. You don't have anywhere to go. It's not that your father is chasing you now, run to your uncle. Your uncle must not see you because the purpose they are chasing you is that they think that you have belonged to a cult. So you see, like, let me reverse it. You see, like in today, when young children join cults, we do everything to rescue them out. Are you following what I'm saying? That's the way they saw Christians in those days. So it was more like seeing you like you follow this Jesus of Nazareth who cannot even tell us who his father was. Eh? You know, it's easy for us now to believe in the incarnate birth and say Holy Spirit. Do you imagine what it was in those days? Where virginity was prime. And here this lady was a virgin. And say, who pregnated you? Say Holy Spirit. Okay. Holy Spirit, Abby. At least other people can point us to their father. Then Jesus now comes and says, Before Abraham, I am. <laughs> he said, And he chose us. Where were you born? 
So the Bible said they took off stones to stone him. They just say, okay, since we have not been able to trace your father, you are claiming God. Let's just kill you so that this matter can rest. Then this same man died. Right? And he was hung on the cross. And look at the implication of Jesus' death. They chose a thief over him. That means the whole nation saw that this guy is a thief, but he is more useful to us than this man. That's why the scripture says, if the princes of this world have known, they will not have crucified the prince of glory. It's only the Bible we know that he was the prince of glory. On the earth realm, he was seen as a vagabond. So this is, Christianity is not sticker. I'm KDCC family. Yes, but that's not it. <laughs> all these ones are names so that you can locate this place. If I just say we have service, all these ones are names so you can be able to find out, okay, this is where you don't go there. Are you following what I'm saying? We must understand this thing about church. That's why I said, it's not about this building. It's not about the lights. It's not about, oh, I like my pastor. He's very charismatic. The man has swag. Nothing about that. The pastor didn't die for you. It's convictions that the Holy Scriptures meant what they meant. That if a gun is put on your head, this is an example, that if a gun is put on your head today, and they say, will you deny the faith without thinking twice? Without being nothing in your mind would think of denying the faith. Because you now know not only who you believe, but what you believe. Saints, this is Christianity. They will not be telling you, you can't do this, you can't do that. I have my life. You don't have your life. You are, you are not born again to have your life. It is so that those who are born again will no longer live unto themselves. Are you, are you getting this? But how do we get there? What's the route? To learn doctrine. Hmm? It's not every Sunday, Victory Sunday. Huh? Power, power, <laughs> power holdings Sunday. Eh? Anointing for favor. There's nothing wrong with all those things. So we believe in all those things. But I mean, do you understand? Do you think those things can bet conviction in us? Can't bet doctrine. That's why you see today any little shaking in the life of a believer, any little as we are going now, let your sandals just cut. Say, what is it? Somebody will even serve God. God cannot hold sandals. I'm telling, I'm telling you, I'm, and then there's problem. Do you understand what I'm saying? The scripture says, we go back, say they went to strengthen the brethren. And this was the exhortation they were giving them. Exhorting them that through many tribulations you would enter the kingdom. Imagine I come up this evening and say, where well, this is exhortation for this evening? Through many tribulations you shall enter the kingdom. And people say, Amen. Agabus took the belt of Paul. Hmm? Tied. I say, any man who has this belt, this is how it's going to be tied. And the people appeal to him. Say, don't go to Jerusalem. And he say, why, why are you crying? Why are you trying to dissuade me? He says, the Holy Spirit has revealed to me in many cities the things I'll suffer for him. I'm not only ready to suffer for him, but to die for him. And he went ahead. The prophecy was accurate, but his convictions were stronger 
than the accuracy of the prophecy. Saints, how do we build a church like that? It's through exposition as preaching. We must come to a place again where we allow the scriptures to be taught. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Where our needs do not blind us to what we want to hear. I'm not saying we cannot teach those things. I hope you understand what I'm saying. But on the scale, these doctrines must weigh more. Are you following this? All right. <laughs> Go to Second Timothy four two. You know, sometimes people travel abroad and then they now start blasting us. You people pray for road. You people pray for many things. In America, yeah, we don't pray about anything. You know what? It's not that bad. It was poverty. A lot of messages we were preaching here were out of poverty. I say you will make it. I say you will make it. I say you will make it. Anybody that say you will not make it, you have made it. You will jump over. I say you will jump over. You now went where they are not taking lights. Where you have food. Where you can go to school with loan. Do you understand? First of all, when you enter that society, the consciousness of making it is, is eroded. So you don't see the need for Christianity anymore. You just ask, so what's, what's, what's all this? Uh, do you understand? Now, that shows us that something is fundamentally wrong. Because Christianity should be applicable to you in Nigeria, in Europe, and in anywhere. For God so loved the world. He didn't say for God so loved Africa. So if, if our churches are more need-oriented than doctrinal-oriented, we will produce Christians who, when they get into certain environments, the Word of God will not be relevant anymore. Because, a lo- and we find it a lot of times, a lot of people who come to church, immediately they have some level of money, what happens? Commitment drops. Because everything that they are being taught is how to have these things. Are you following this now? Look at this. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exalt with great patience and instruction. Okay? I said the preacher should do it. Preacher should reprove, should rebuke, should exalt with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled. Hmm? Have you seen a small child... And they are tickling their ear. Eh? Oh, it's like, uh, just leave. <laughs> no, <laughs> just leave. Eh? That's why you can, people can come to church for months and they have not read the Bible and they are just catching phone. Hmm? They have not studied the word. You know, you know the Bible, the uh, uh, Bible talked about the Berean believers. He said, what happened? After Paul finished teaching, they went back and searched the scriptures. To see if the things that Paul taught were so. Number one, it means they took notes. Eh? It means they took notes. It's not like when Paul were teaching, you say, hmm, deep, oh, Rema, Jesus. Finish us, man of God. Finish us. They were not doing that. I, 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 you know, sometimes I teach and I hear people talk, I'm like, what are you saying? Eh? Wow! Right on, Papa. Go, Papa. I've got all this stuff. They were, they were taking notes. So when Paul finished, they went home. Right? Then they took the scriptures. Then they took Paul's notes. Say, okay, this is what he said. He read this. They went back. They searched. 
That's how believe, the scriptures say those are noble believers. See, they were more noble than the other because the other ones were just shouting, Wow, Polo, go for it. I mean, I mean, Paul said, these guys were more noble than you because when I finished teaching, they went back home and searched the scriptures. So it wasn't only pastors who searched the scriptures. The members searched the scriptures to see if the things that Paul is teaching is so. And why were they able to search the scriptures? Paul was expositing the scriptures. He was opening up scriptures to them so that they can understand it. Are you following this now? Second Timothy chapter... Uh, yeah, for the time will come when they will not enjoy sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in according to their own desires. And we turn away their ears. Look at that. They will turn away their ears from the truth. And we turn aside to myths. Mythology. Stories that are not true. Here's some teachings and it's just mythology. Hmm? Somebody's teaching you how to become a prime minister overnight. And meanwhile, the story of Joseph started from when he had a dream. When his father sent him on an errand. When he, wanted, uh, when he went to Potiphar's house. How he stood against sexual temptation. How he went to prison. All those ones, you know, your ear don't want to hear it. Hmm? But you would like to pray the prayer of Joseph. Say, as Joseph, Joseph slept one night and became a prime minister. I pray for you today. The anointing of Joseph. The corrosive anointing. You will become a prime minister. You say, Amen. What you are saying, Amen, is the fact that you will have a dream. Your brothers will sell you. You will be lied against. You will go to prison. You know, you don't want, you just turn to mythology. When you now stand in front of temptation, instead of remembering Joseph to overcome, you fall into temptation. But when you now see money, you now remember Joseph to become a prime minister. Can you see the hypocrisy there? Do you think Daniel was joking when they told him, you can't pray to your God. This was a slave in another nation. The man went to his house, opened his window. Man, <laughs> we need help. The king of the land says, no more prayer. The guy said, that's your own. Opened his window and prayed towards Jerusalem three times as he has been doing. His devotion did not change with that policy. And he said, we'll throw you into the lion's den. The man kept his prayer life. Even the testimony of you, will throw you into the dog's den. Not lion. Eh? Then they carried this man and threw him in the... Don't read these things like they are films. Think, think over them. They threw him in the lion's den for prayer. If we were to cancel that person today, we would say, see, life is wisdom. This prayer, even if you want to pray, enter under your bed. You understand? Because if you die now, you, you know, we, we, that, that's the concept. Compromise for us is what? It's wisdom. Come on, somebody follow him. How can we bet believers with this thing? Is when we start going back to teach the Bible again. And say, you know what? This year, we are staying in the book of Daniel. One verse after the other. 
reading the scriptures, allowing the scriptures speak to us. You see, this word of God is powerful. If we allow it, it will best conventions. Are you following this? This impatience that we have cannot breed convention. Cannot breed convention. So a healthy church must focus on expositional preaching. It can't just be on the needs of the people. You know, we try to create the balance here, although it's not so much. Try to teach practical messages and teach a bit of theology and teach. And that's the way it should be. So people can understand these things. The average believer ought to have an understanding of this. Jude, Jude 3. Go to Jude 3. I think we'll just stop on expositional preaching. We have four points, so maybe we'll just take time to go to them. Jude. Verse 3. Jude is only one chapter. So when I said Jude 3, it's just... I hope you are not looking for chapter 3. Jude. Let's read verse 1 to 3. Jude, a born servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. To those who are called, beloved in God, the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation... I felt necessary to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which once for all handed down to the saints. It says, contend for it. I, I wanted to write to you about salvation, but I just felt quickly to touch on this point. That you contend for the faith. It's the same faith you have. You know, when I read Hebrews chapter 11, go back home and read it. I read Hebrews chapter 11, right? They write to us of all these men. Yeah, I was talking about it in Flames of Revival. And then they say, the word was not worthy of them. Ah, look at the description. They, they say the world was not worthy of them. They looked at the whole world. Looked at the riches in the world. And they said the world is not worthy of them. But the last verse is more intriguing. It says, but they could not get into the promise. It says, for the better thing have been reserved for us. For without us, they cannot be made perfect. Ah, it's like, it's like, the scripture says, by faith they refuse deliverance. Talking about people like Daniel. It's like Daniel looks at us and is wondering, like, is it without these people that, ah, it's not like I cannot reject food. Cannot reject airtime. Now has boyfriend because of suya. Is this without these people that I won't be made perfect? It's not that they rejected deliverance. We can't reject anything now. A king set food before Daniel. And Daniel said, proposed in his heart that he will not defile himself with the king's food. We will share that one as testimony. Praise the Lord. I just came from Nebuchadnezzar Palace. We ate. And there is the people I tap into that grace, Lord. Tap into that grace. We can't design what is... We can't design an offer that is not godly. Because everything is about money. Everything is materialism. Everything is the bigger, the better. It says content for it. Let, let's read quickly. Verse 4. It says, for certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. Ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness 
and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Turn the grace of God to the grace of God now means that whatever you do, God is not angry with you. Hmm? Come on, is that all the grace you teach? That's it now. That's what you like to hear. Whatever you do, you are forgiving. The reckless love of God. There's no wall he will not break down. No shadow he won't turn up. Don't look for me. Yeah, God is always looking for you. Every time they'll look for you, bring you in the house, he will run after you again. You are always running. Run. One day we break your leg. Huh? We like it. Huh? We can't talk about judgment anymore. No, God doesn't judge. He judged everything in Christ. We are forever free. We are forever righteous. The love of God is extravagant. Where sin abounds. Grace. Much more. Those are the scriptures you like. You don't like the scripture that says, I'm looking for a man. Hmm? Go into all the world and preach the, script, the gospel. Mm-mm. The scriptures you like is the one that is sin and grace. Because you yourself know that you are not ready for this life. So you heap teachers. Eh? So your conscience is already snared. Hmm? It's like I want to say something. You say, oh God, forgive me. You already know that you want to sin. So you collect forgiveness in advance. Is my subscription still there? Say yes, okay. Eh? But you ask yourself, with this lifestyle, can we be used to advance the kingdom? God will forgive you. I mean, the judgment of sin is placed on Christ. But ask yourself, is there a bigger agenda? Is it the same scripture that tells us that if we purify ourselves, we can become vessels of honor? Do you always want to be a vessel that is constantly washed? Or you want to be a vessel of honor that the Lord can use to wash others? Paul says, it's as though Christ was in us, reconciling the whole world to himself. The same scripture that says you are a new creation in Christ Jesus is the same scripture that says now you are ambassadors for Christ. We can't stay on being new creation without moving on to becoming what? Ambassadors. So what did Paul say? He said, when you ought to be teachers, you have need that someone will teach you again. So is there a place of growing above this childish thing and becoming what? Teachers. So we can help what? Help others. We will move into that as we get into the Great Commission. Every Christian ought to have one person they are discipling in the faith. Every believer. And I'll tell you this, right? I, I, I might not have the statistics to prove it. But if you watch believers that are serious and rooted and grounded in Christ, especially from the previous generation into our generation, are believers that somebody intentionally discipled. Somebody was, hey, read your scriptures. Hey, say your prayers. Come on. And all that. Discipled. Are you following this? There's just two more scriptures. Titus 2 1. So, expositional preaching, which is about doctrine. Titus 2 1. I want to challenge you that if we're going to fulfill the Great Commission, we must be people who are exposed to scriptures. Verse, Titus 2 1. Hmm? 
But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Hmm? As for you, speak the things that are fitting for sound doctrine. Then he tells them a lot of things to do. Let's just read quickly. Nice reading. I like it. Hmm? Older men are to be temperate, calm, dignified, sensible. The old men in church should be sensible. Look at it there now. It's the Bible now. Look at it. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.2. The old men should be sensible. Old, you've married your wife. You are now beating your wife. Eh? They call you now and say, ah, I'm not accountable to anybody. Is that, is that what he told you to be in Titus 2.2? Very sensible. What will make you sensible? Doctrine. Eh? It's doctrine. Look at this. Sound in faith, in love, in perseverance. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior. Hmm? Not malicious gossips. Not enslaved to much wine. So it's not even today that women are getting enslaved to wine. Teaching what is good. So that they may encourage young women to love their husbands. Not to live. To love their husbands. Hmm? To love their children. To be sensible. Because that sensible man ought to marry a sensible woman. Do you understand that now? <laughs> you, see, you see how if we just read scriptures, scriptures can be speaking to us. You don't need interpretation for this one. To be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. What is saying that if we do anything opposite this, the word of God will be dishonored. Right? Likewise, all the young men to be sensible. Because he's a sensible young man that will grow up to become what? Sensible old man. You can see that what is consistent in these three categories is sensibility. <laughs> There's nothing like sensibility. <laughs> in all things, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity in doctrine. Dignified. Purity in doctrine. We can't remove purity in doctrine. From building great believers. Verse 8. Sound in speech which is beyond reproach. So that the opponents will be put to shame. Look at this. Having nothing bad to say about us. What a way to live. He says that your opponent has nothing bad to say about you. How do we get to this point? Is as we allow the scriptures to speak to us. Amen. Are you blessed tonight? All right, so next Wednesday. Thank you for listening to Word Connect with Pastor Maxwell Ogaga. We encourage you to share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information and free downloads, please visit www.pastormax.ng. We would like to hear from you. Send us an email, info at pastormax.ng. Or you can call 0805-888-7575. God bless you.